It's 2022, which marks 40 years since the release of Madonna's very first single, Everybody, in 1982. Last August, it was announced that her albums would be re-released with new versions curated by Madonna herself. What does that mean? Well, here on Inside the Groove, we're working through each of her albums one by one to tell the story of how they were recorded, written and produced, along with the iconic photography and graphic design. Music by Madonna was released on 18th of September 2000, just a month after the single by the same name. This release coincided with the madonnamusic.com website which launched a new internet savvy era for the singer. The album reached number one in pretty much all the major territories and as of 2013 has a sales certification of 11 million copies. 1999 had seen a detour in Madonna's career where she had postponed a tour, chosen a film to make and ended the year pregnant with her second child. At the beginning of 2000, she would change producer on the project and end up with a different sounding album, thus ensuring its success. But I will be playing you some of the abandoned songs from the earlier sessions. I also have the story of the beautiful photography by Jean-Baptiste Mondino, along with the branding and style which followed into all the paraphernalia for the release, including the singles, DVDs and the website. It was the first album by Madonna which would be extensively recorded outside of the US, with all the Mealways tracks being recorded at Psalm West Studios in London. Most territories also included the song American Pie, which was recorded for the movie The Next Best Thing soundtrack and released as a single in February 2000. Being a huge hit, number one in the UK, it was no surprise that Madonna was persuaded to include it on music, though this was a decision she would later say she regretted. However, I have the story behind that cover version for you. So, let's sit back, relax. Man, I dig those rhythm and blues as we go inside the groove. Bye bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. And good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye, singing, This will be the day that I die. This will be the day that I die. We started singing. We started singing. We started singing. American Pie, I kind of love it and I kind of don't. Madonna's voice sounds absolutely fantastic on it and it's got all those blips and beeps which William Orbit is famous for. But there's something a little bit wimpy about the track. I think it's the drums. It just doesn't fit with the rest of the album. It's no wonder that Madonna would later say that she regretted including it. In fact, this happened when the 2001 Greatest Hits compilation GHV2, which we're going to speak about later, came about. And Madonna said... It was something a certain record company executive twisted my arm into doing, but it didn't belong on the album, so now it's being punished by not being on GHV2. My gut told me not to put the song on music, but I did it and then I regretted it. So just for that reason, it doesn't deserve its place on GHV2. But there's a real story behind it, and it's kind of at the crux of the change in direction that Madonna had when she began recording in September 1999 with William Orbit. 
but then changed plan and moved to London and recorded with Mirwais from February 2000 onwards. I can't wait to give you that story, but I've got Lucy O'Brien here now, who, of course, is the biographer of the Like an Icon book. Lucy, I want to ask you, how do you think this change came about? What caused it? She, I think with William, maybe she was starting to feel, hmm, okay, this vibe is feeling a little bit similar to Ray of Light. And okay, we had massive success with that, but I do absolutely do not want to repeat that. And she's always been a party girl. And at that point, you know, we get to 2000 and we've got the influence of French House and we've got a whole new kind of dance scene emerging and, and kind of electro pop really emerging. And so she starts to look to, you know, some of the Parisian producers and then, and hence finds me away and then um, lands on, yes, that's, that's the sound I want now because I'm kind of rethinking my club roots, my, my party girl, you know, and kind of bringing back that party girl, but with added depth, you know, and a little bit more experimentation. So we get that with the title track music, which is one of my favourites, absolute favourites, and that wonderful video where she's sitting in, in the back of the limousine just just laughing and, and singing. Great album, that one. And do you remember, Madonna was suddenly very cool. I mean, she'd always been cool in her own way. But certainly for us in the UK, she was, she was in the UK and she was hanging out with lots of top people and, and really on the scene. And it felt, it was quite strange looking back, that strange sort of time. Yes, no, I remember it well because at that point she was married to Guy Ritchie and, you know, she was spotted like friends of mine would say, oh, I saw her at the, you know, the Kabbalah Centre, you know, in, in the West End, or, oh, I saw her at church in, in Kensington High Street. And, you know, she, she would pop up everywhere. She was here, you know, she was here. She also had this um, house in the country in Wiltshire. <laughs> that was a sort of slightly strange moment. Um, <laughs> but she was soaking it all up. She was soaking up all those, you know, not just English, English pop influences, but, you know, bringing in with Mirway that kind of electro pop French house vibe as well. And, um, you know, and, and working as well with Kai Sigsworth, who's worked with Bjork. So she was really embracing that kind of European kind of art house approach as well. Following up Ray of Light was always going to be tough for Madonna. It had been a critical and commercial success, and the expectation was high. Madonna had reinvented herself once again, and there was no turning back. Of course, the obvious expectation was that she would again work with William Orbit on what would possibly be an organic continuation that they had created. But Madonna's plans at the beginning of 1999 were focused on taking her most recent album on the road. In the January, she told Larry King that she was prepared to tour later that year, but would probably give up extensive touring by the time her daughter was at school. Madonna's own fan club, Icon, then said that a Ray of Light tour would happen in September, though no dates were given. Though her publicist Liz Rosenberg had said that rehearsals would begin in late summer. Even at the Grammys, on 24th of February... Madonna was still committed to a tour, but on Monday, 8th March, it was announced that the show was cancelled or, or at least delayed for the immediate future. 
Liz Rosenberg said that Madonna would now be working on a song with Ricky Martin for his next album and a song for the Austin Powers soundtrack. And if you've listened to the episode about Beautiful Stranger, you'll be aware of how those recordings happened. Liz also stated that Madonna would be assembling a new Greatest Hits album with a few new songs. At the time, it was referred to as The Immaculate Collection 2. But with no direct reason for cancelling at all, Liz did say that Madonna would be filming her new movie, The Next Best Thing, which co-starred Rupert Everett, and that its delayed schedule made the window available for tour rehearsals now too short. In fact, she would carry on filming between April and June, and this would have a significant effect on the album, which would eventually be called Music, along with another situation in Madonna's life. Now, I don't often talk about Madonna's private life on this podcast unless those events have a significant effect on her music. But you'll probably be aware that Madonna had been dating a British singer, Andrew Bird, throughout 1998. At some point, she met British filmmaker Guy Ritchie, introduced by their mutual friends Sting and his wife Trudy Styler. Madonna had attended the screening of Guy's film Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels in America on the 16th of Feb, but wasn't pictured with Guy. The first time their names became linked was a report in the British Mirror newspaper which claimed a fight had broken out between Andy Bird and Guy Ritchie at the Met Bar in London. Ritchie had been defending Madonna's honour after Bird had allegedly been saying things that upset Guy. Now Madonna and Guy were pictured together later that summer and officially dating, if that's a phrase you can really use, I don't know, by the end of 1999 with Madonna making more and more trips to the UK to see Guy. Meanwhile, Madonna was back in studio with William Orbit by September. As Liz Rosenberg said at the time, they've been in a New York studio writing and recording new material, but it's not clear yet if it's for a soundtrack or for a next album. Madonna was also helping to compile songs for the soundtrack, which would be released for The Next Best Thing by Maverick. Presumably this was part of Madonna's deal with the studio when she signed on for the film. According to Liz, if the sessions led to a new Madonna album, it probably wouldn't be released until spring 2000. Now, as you know, I really hate to repeat myself on this podcast when I've already told a story and both the music and Don't Tell Me episodes already talk about how Madonna decided to change approach to the album and was recording in London by early 2000 with French producer Mirways. Additionally, his new sound would affect some of the songs already recorded with Orbit. And by this time, we can assume that Madonna was probably also aware that she was pregnant with Guy's child. As such, release of the album would take place after the birth. So I'm going to skip ahead to the album's release now don't worry i'll be coming back to the music but i'm joined by art director and graphic designer peter Floon and fashion photographer jonathan daniel price to discuss the album at work and packaging and of course the singles wow this is another pairing up jonathan of madonna with jean baptiste mondino and it must be said that uh, it's a rather pregnant madonna in some of the pictures cleverly disguised though um, and it's such a leap away from the much more ethereal sort of styling of Ray of Light. What can you tell us about this shoot? Mm, well, like you said, we've talked about Jean-Baptiste Mandino before in the Immaculate Collection episode. And when we look at these images now, you know, you really see what a strong departure it was from that Ray of Light aesthetic. But also that it indicates the record isn't so much of a diary like the previous record was. It's a bit more conceptual. Here we've got Madonna dressed as this fashion cowgirl in dirty denim and a silk western shirt. It looks like it's shot at night on a ranch. Could be a set with a 1950s vintage car in the driveway. Very American, very glossy. It was shot in April 2000 in Los Angeles. And like you said, she was pregnant with Rocco 
at the time. I feel like the photos are quite cool. You know, she looks a bit badass. The image on the back shows her holding a guitar in a sort of curious way, not caring too much, attempting to pluck a string. The whole thing's quite nonchalant. They did quite a few setups in this shoot, but in the album itself, you see only Madonna at the ranch and then lying on the hay bale. And I love that setup. I just think it's so camp. She's got stilettos on and she's asleep covered in rhinestones. It's, it's sort of this nod to Judy Garland there with the Ruby slippers photograph too. This whole idea of like Kansas and the journey West in America, finding a new home, but also being extremely glamorous, pretending to sleep. Mondino said that he was the one that came up with the idea of this Western theme. He said that Madonna wasn't sure at first, but he told her that if she didn't like it, that he wouldn't charge her for the shoot, which I'm sure Madonna loved the sound <laughs> of. And she ended up really liking the result, obviously, because she took this style and laid it out across the whole campaign. All the promotion for music with the jeans and the shirts and the cowboy hats. And the interesting thing as well, which we slightly touched on in the last episode about this idea of collaboration and how it comes together, is that Ariane Phillips also said that she came up with this cowgirl aesthetic. She just read Rodeo Girl by Lisa Eisner. It's a photography book which explores Eisner's hometown in Wyoming as a cowgirl, rodeo girl. This sort of colorful rodeo culture that thrived in America. And she showed it to Madonna and Mondino before the Don't Tell Me shoot. And they loved it, referred to it in this kind of tongue-in-cheek, playful way, you know, never too direct. It sort of always has a bit of humor to it. So who knows who really came up with the concept, but I do think this is an example of, of different creative minds maybe coming together in this kind of zeitgeist way where they're all seeing what's happening and, and combining their thoughts. What I think is really astounding you know, as well as it being so far into Madonna's career, like we said with Ray of Light, hitting another zeitgeist, another, you know, the cultural impact was huge with this. And Western style just blew up after this album came up. I think I went and bought a cowboy shirt from H&M after seeing the Don't Tell Me music video. <laughs> and there's actually a great article on Vogue.com that came out a couple of years ago because this country style has reemerged. And the article's called Madonna was the first to subvert country music style. If anyone wants to Google it, it's got quite a few interesting references in there. But the artwork itself in the album, I feel they could have added more images. I mean, I feel like this with every Madonna album, but with this particularly, I just want more. There were so many great photos from the time. And particularly if I look at the original vinyl, which I have, I've not seen the re-release, but you know, they're quite disappointed with the lack of artwork. You know, they've got the front and the back image, which are strong images. You know, she looks great and the, the styling and the lighting, everything is very striking. But yeah, I just longed for more. I wanted to see the full shoot. And even with the CD, you know, which has more images, I got that as my Christmas gift in the year 2000. I remember being disappointed that they dedicated a whole page to a red shoe rather than seeing another <laughs> picture of Madonna. The, you know, young me wanted just to see her face. But there's no escaping the fact that these photos are heavily touched up. They almost look like illustrations at points. And I remember thinking at the time, quite cynically, that there were, this was to make Madonna look younger. I look at it now and realise that it's a pure aesthetic. And it's also quite Jean-Baptiste Mondino as well, I think, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And I, you, yeah, I have thought that too. You know, particularly when you see it in larger format. I've got the vinyl in front of me here beside the CD. Mm -hmm. You know, the skin is heavily retouched, particularly with the front image, uh, even more so than the back image. Mm -hmm. But it m creates this filmic 
sort of unrealistic quality which i think mm-hmm. they want because when you juxtapose that with the fact that it's a western and it's you know rough and the the hay bales and all that stuff i think they wanted to elevate it to this more glamorous place which makes it feel a bit uh, painterly and you know unrealistic peter i'm going to come to you now about the the graphic design and how it works with the photography because i was astounded when I saw what they'd done. I think we first saw it on the Madonna Music website. That's where it was launched before we saw even the single cover. It's, I, I suppose, the only way I can think of describing it is as cowboy, his country and western. It's a particular type of font and a bit of a circus look as well. What can you tell me about it? Yeah, I was shocked. There, there seems to be a breakaway in America. In the Ray of Light episode, we talked about the the clean minimalism and if you look at like other artists that were out at the time so like impossible princess robbie williams they're all working with really minimalistic designers like pharaoh or frost everything was white space so in this year that madonna released music that theme continued so spice girls forever white space clean type that was ubiquitous i graduated uni this year and everything that I held up as like graphic design gods was on par with like Groove Armada Vertigo. So just absolute exercises in minimalism and taking things away. And this is so extra. And at the time, my tiny 21 year old brain could not comprehend how I hated it at the time because it, it's, it's called maximalism and it's just throwing everything at it. And it's Americana. It has the feel of cowboy, kitsch, diner. It's everything just thrown in. And you've got a texture of like hay and those little photo mounts in the corners of all the images. And there's, there's a starburst and there's a badge. And <laughs> it's just, it is true maximalism. And it's, it's an assault on the eyes. But I now, 20 years on, look back. This is an album that stands out. I don't remember the vertigo. I don't remember the spiritualized because it's so banal. This now, because of its bravery and it's, it's, it, it was obviously very ahead of its time. It's more in keeping with what we understand now as like good graphic design. It's pulling in references from everywhere. So it's got tiny bit of the um, stock imagery of the cowboy on, uh, on the badge. So there's just so much going on and it's, it's rich and it's deep and she's pulling in all of these visual references. My favorite bit was that this era, she even got a, a name checking out fab cowboy <laughs> hats is back. Cowboy hats is back. So <laughs> she, she obviously had her finger on something that I don't know if the English market fully understood it because it's pulling on a lot of references that we don't have. So Americana and cowboys and the idea of like a, a Western, they're quite abstract to us, but graphic design wise, it, it's the same guy. It's like Kevin Regan, who I assume was fully engaged in Maverick and he, he did the, the three albums, but it's such a departure from Ray of Light. I almost can't believe the same designer did both. I have a style and I think you can tell when I've done a piece of work, I could not believe that the same guy did these two album covers because music is just so rich with visual. I I agree with Jonathan. There are some really bizarre and brave decisions like the vignettes, the the two color change, that that's given so much prominence rather than an image of Madonna. And then the little kitschy um, gems, the rhinestones that are stuck all throughout the entire campaign. And 
to be honest, this is the first time that from album to single to single to single, there's complete cohesive. They all flow. They all come from the same family and they all look on point. It honestly stands head and shoulders above the albums of 2000 for that reason. So let's talk about the the singles then. The first one, of course, is music. Now, this one didn't tie in with the video, and that's quite possibly because the video was shot a fair bit later and had its own aesthetic. But this was Madonna in the Bale of Hay, but using the badge and the graphic font of of the album itself, very much tied into the campaign. And a really strong image. Has nothing to do whatsoever with the song. I, I like to think that she she guided us in with American Pie. She'd already started to invert Americana, so. It's not well loved amongst fans. I know that, but it's amongst creatives. I get that video referenced to me so much. The Madonna wrapping herself in a flag and juxtaposing these really abstract visions of America, the things that we expect. And then all of a sudden there's a gay couple kissing and then there's a neo-Nazi. She managed to convey an America that was existing at the turn of the century. But she wraps herself in the flag. And it's probably one of her more controversial videos from the imagery that she shows. But because she's wrapped herself in the flag, she sort of gets away with it. And that's where I feel that she took the entire direction. Although there's not the correlation between the music video and the visual, the hat and the tiara are still present. And I kind of like the fact that it's these kitschy things that are pulled together. And then in the middle of the video, we then go into this illustrative breakdown, which then reminds me of the cause and the commotion music video that never happened and dear Jesse. And within that, she's still stylized to look like this superhero cowboy. So visually and graphically, she tied everything together. And I think Jonas Ackland did a great job of taking the, the quirky type and making it feel really kitsch and disjointed. And then she did the same thing again. She went to a strip club and she's stuffing dollar bills down big ladies' G-strings. <laughs> and it, she played that role of inverting what it was to be a man in a, in a music video that was derogatory. And there she is like inverting it all again. So I think it's a very dirty version of America, but packaged in this Americana style. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you get to Don't Tell Me, because although the still that's used on the cover of Don't Tell Me isn't from the video, there is a bit of a tie-in. Jonathan, that video, again, it's Mondino. You you must... I'm guessing you like that video? Mm, I like it very much, but unfortunately, my first interaction with it was through an MTV series, which was one in which they got fans to reenact the video they liked best. And Ooh. I didn't actually see the original video until after I'd seen this oh slightly shoddy remake by some, <laughs> some unknown person. Quite funny. I think it is on YouTube. However, yes, I loved it. And that is one of the moments I remember hearing Madonna on the radio for the first time. You know, I was 12 and music, the single, hadn't made a big impression on me. I think it's interesting listening to you, Peter, with all these references. As a 12-year-old, I didn't understand any of that. I didn't get any of the Americanness of it. And also the song music itself, for whatever reason, didn't impact me. I, I didn't really like it that much. It was okay. It was catchy, but it felt, I don't know, just too different from this Madonna of Ray of Light that I had really enjoyed before. And the music video too, you know, Ali G, I was too young for. I didn't know really who that was. And I, I did, but I didn't watch the TV show. So yeah, it didn't, it didn't fully grasp it. But then I remember for the first time hearing the opening of Don't Tell Me on the radio and saying to my dad, is that Madonna? 
is that Madonna? <laughs> and him probably being like, I don't care. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then thinking, wow, this is a very different sound to this other thing that I'd heard before. Loving that. And then seeing the video, which of course you referenced, you know, same photographer as director for this video now. And that did really impact me. I really, it's, it's so, so easy to understand as well. There's no layers. It's just like, she looks great. There's some great cowboys in there doing some great dancing. And, and I liked the sort of seeing behind the scenes element to it with the, the sort of backdrop the you see her on the runway walking on this sort of, uh, you know, step machine thing. The artwork itself is not from the shoot. You're right. Of course, the way these things line up, you need to think, have all of the artwork done well in advance. But I really love this, this set of images. Actually, it's from the same shoot that they shot music, which is one of the reasons why I'm saying, you know, I wish that they'd included a few more different setups. This is her with red Stetson, you know, it's a close crop portrait of Madonna with this painted blue sky in the backdrop and she's got feather earrings. It's clearly in a studio. So it adds this element of kitsch where it's sort of her meant to be a cowgirl, but it's, it's clearly set up with the retouching, as you mentioned before. And I think it looks really fresh and impactful even today. I really like the setup. I think you, it sit nicely beside the other artwork that they've done. And then when you come to the video shoot itself, Jean-Baptiste Mondino shoots more images from that same time period on the shoot, which then get used further throughout the campaign. But what's interesting is it's so cohesive. You know, she's got slightly different hair, which is mostly how we can tell when it was shot. But other than that, you know, it very much fits in with the, the aesthetic that they had previously worked with. There's something that we say a lot, but there's the people that she works with. And that's why it sort of crushes me a bit with Mondino. I think he gets something out of her that's very different and his concepts of his videos are never, they're never worked into a full treatment. It's always a conversation and he's able to just get something out of her where it's just, it's her, a prop and a room. That sounds insane, but there's a magic between the two of them that it, it, it's an, a lesson in simplicity. So in open your heart, it's a, a chair and in don't tell me it's a bucking bronco and a travelator and there's nothing there's, that shouldn't work. It shouldn't be that simple, but she manages to create a pile of sand into like an iconic moment. And I love what he gets out of her because it's always what you don't put in or what you don't show. And the, the technique of like the cowboys being in the real desert, but then being in the real space. And I think you can tell there's a, a Tom of Finland nod there. They're, very sexy and like you say they're all height appropriate for madonna so they're <laughs> obviously very cute little men it it just i i think that video completely nailed the americana aesthetic and the edit technique and it, it to me it was like the the best bit of the campaign that everything aligned in that video and it's just, just beautiful to see well, it's really interesting aesthetic that I think she brings across from her Americana, and it's something she touches on again in American Life, is the faintness to everything. And she's actually showing behind the scenes here. She's showing yeah. that, you know, she's not actually walking down a road, she's in a studio. And it's a trick that she'd done previously to an extent with the rain video where we saw very much behind the scenes in the making of. And it works really well, and it really suits her aesthetic, and it suits the song as well, which is two things going on, which is this country and western song, this really hardcore electronica that sounded like nothing else at the time yeah. as well. Something she does brilliantly. And when she gets that right, she can appeal both to people on the two-dimensional level who don't want to look at a deeper meaning and just enjoy it for what it is. And yeah. other people who do want to see behind the curtain can see the layers, the humor, the criticism yeah. of the culture. And I think also, you know, we live in a culture which is so 
saturated in pop culture. Today, we see so many images. We have seen so many music videos that this idea of letting a talented person perform for the camera in a relatively simple setup, it really shows you how this ephemeral X factor, Madonna has it. She is someone who has this thing and you can't put your finger on it, but in front of a camera, she shines. I wonder how much the Americana was out of an insecurity because this was the first album from Madonna that wasn't recorded in America. And she was by this point living in Britain as well. Maybe she felt she needed to compensate. It's an interesting thought because the um, album does sound very European as well, with the exception of Don't Tell Me. So I can't help but feel she might have been concerned that she would get a backlash from her home country. It's an interesting observation because we were in a weird period of music there where it quite quickly shifted to a focus on the more cooler British sounds, Ray of Light, to a very American R&B sound. As we move into the 2000s later, you mentioned the Spice Girls Forever. That's a perfect example. The prior album's very British and then they move to this American slick sound. And although, like you're saying, the production, you know, look at Impressive Instant, you know, that's not an American glossy sound, but visuals, maybe it's more digestible, the, the pairing of the two. Yeah, I can see that. It's definitely a thought process Madonna would have had is how do I not alienate my home country or my fans from my home country? She didn't, thank God. What it feels like for a girl. Gosh, this is a departure. I don't like this video. I remember being so excited about it and being really disappointed about it. But I think what I don't like is I don't like the remix and I don't like the use of the remix over the original, which has got such a story to it already that I felt cheated by not having that represented in the video. However, the artwork, we'll talk about both. The artwork does tie in with the rest of the album. Thoughts on the video, please, from both of you. I kind of love that her and Guy collaborated. I think somewhere in it, there is genius. And the fact that they preempted Tarantino with The Bride and The Pussy Wagon by a good three years. I love when she's allowed to go off the rails and I think Guy Ritchie sees, I, I, I think genuinely they had a positive relation to begin with. And I think he saw something in her that maybe other directors didn't. So it's really interesting when a married couple work together. And if you listen to the original, it is a massive departure from such a sweet, beautiful idea of gender inversion. And it, it does replicate that. It does say that these are things that girls can't do. But I think it takes it too far. It's, it's demonic and it's dangerous. Whereas the original intention of the song was more of a subtlety between what it is to be a girl and what it is to be a boy and, and why, why is one bad and the other good. So I, I can see she went to an extreme and I enjoy the fact that she did it with her husband when it was on good terms. So as a piece of, I will call it art as a piece of art, I think it stands up. I just don't think it fits in with a lot of the things we've talked about about the Americana. It's still in the vein. I thoroughly enjoy it, but I think that the single artwork is soft and lovely and effeminate, and it's got a really like wholesome feel to it. But then the video is this thing in its own right. So I don't think there's correlation between the two. I think what Madonna has taught us about feminism is you can still be beautiful and sexy and feminine. It's not the same thing at all. And so this didn't feel like her voice to me, which I'm sure it was her voice. It was her, you know, she would have agreed to the treatment. And I don't hate it. I just don't think the public remember it very well either. I don't think it's a standout moment. Jonathan, do you have any thoughts on it? 
One of the reasons why I love doing this podcast is that you have a clarity of vision for the time period that I don't have. So you can tell me all the references and what was happening in the world. So so what I'm thinking now is there was an Adele interview she gave for this 30 record in which she said, I'm not making a record for people on TikTok, kids on TikTok, I'm making it for people my age. And I think the difference in that time period is I was of this new group of obsessive CD buyers and record companies were making a lot of money from early teens, tweens age who went out and bought the records. So I can imagine you and Madonna being in a similar situation, having a huge audience already from her career, but also trying to appeal to, or at least see what she could pick up in the younger generation along the way. You know, going to do a record shop on a Saturday, as with all of us, I'm sure was like the, the ultimate pastime. And I remember the video without any of the references you're talking about. I don't even know if I knew that it was Guy Ritchie at the time that had directed it, thinking it was so cool because it was so grown up. I was being a bit bad watching this like naughty, crazy thing. I'd never seen a film with that much violence before. So I really enjoyed it. And it also with it being a dance track, I don't think I understood dance music either at that time. And the fact that it wasn't the album track, it was a remix that was used as a single in a video. All of these things collided in my head and I really enjoyed it. Now, I think I would have preferred a different version of events maybe, but I can appreciate it for what it is. Very much in alignment with what you've both said. So further listening, Jonathan, obviously you've talked about the other setups from the album shoot. What else? What should people look out for? Well, I do think it is worth Googling John Baptiste Mondino, Madonna 2000, just to get an overview of the type of images that were created at this time, because there's some beautiful shots that were only really used in press. So it's quite hard to find them today. There's one of the same setup from the, what it feels like for a girl, single cover, but she's inside the trailer. She's got a, a magenta pink fur stole. The Britney Spears text is on the t-shirt and yeah, she just looks great. The colors are rich. There's another one I love where she's wearing a black leather Western shirt with black flares. Again, just used for magazine promo, but she looks incredible. Same time, blue Western shirt with a horse that's a statue. And then finally, my favorite from this little setup is her in a wooden outhouse playing guitar. And she looks very serious. There's not really the humor in the setup or the outfit. She's got a checked shirt on denim boot cut jeans, the, the jeans that are covered in mud, which were created by D Squared, who at that time only made menswear. So they were sort of moving in this new direction and custom creating these things for Madonna. And, and I just think she looks beautiful and the, the setup and everything is really, really rich and lovely. And then I guess another thing to look up from the time period is a shoot for Tatler, which was shot by a photographer called Dalen, and it's a very different look. This was actually earlier in 2000, so just before music, which was promoting the film The Next Best Thing. And I just think it's worth looking up because you see what a dramatic change. She looks very sort of 70s with feathered hair and pastel colors in this shot. And obviously a few months later, she reemerges as this music Madonna. Um, Peter, what more should we look at? Mine would be, I really view like GHV2 as just an extension of the music campaign. There was very little time. Like we had a very abrupt end with what it feels like for a girl. We it sort of finished, like felt like the work was not finished, but then we were straight into GHV2. There was not much of a gap really, but we're back to the same art director and designer again, Kevin Regan. That was his three project, Ray of Light, uh, uh, Music and GHV2. I, I, I would look up um, the actual campaign that was around GHV2, not necessarily the album cover, because the actual campaign, London was just alive with those billboards. So you saw a G or a H or a V or a two, 
just randomly pop up. So in Camden around like the MTV studios, there was just these random letters with Madonna's face in, it didn't make any sense. So there was a whole entire poster campaign that went with it and the beautiful visuals of her face trapped inside the graphics. But then it sort of ended with, I, I think it was a bit of a mistake with the greatest hits album. It was again, a photo from a, a year before for a, it was actually for an in style, a cover. So it was a bit of a missed opportunity, but I think everything that Kevin Regan put into it's really a graphic designer's treasure trove. So the weird Japanese lettering above the top of the name, it's actually Japanese nonsense. It's just what you would type out on a Japanese keyboard. If you mm. hit M-A-D-O-N-N-A, -N -N -A. it's not real Japanese. Oh. But I kind of love it as a graphic design package. There's lots of mm -hmm. lovely little things that he's put in there that are like references to previous albums and previous work. Indeed. And of course, it leads directly on to American Life, which, guys, I want to speak to you about for the next episode. But I'm going to step back now so that we can talk about the music. And I mentioned that significant effect that happened with the release of American Life, which caused Madonna to change her plans for the, the sonic um, representation in, in the music album. And of course, with American Life, it kind of is the real sort of stopgap between the ray of light and the music eras. And this was recorded back in September of 1999. I'm going to play now a demo version of that and tell a bit about the story of American Pie. American Pie is a 1971 single by Don McLean, which spent four weeks at the top of the chart in 1972. The song also topped the charts in Australia, Canada and New Zealand, and in the UK the single reached number two, where it stayed for three weeks on its original release, and a reissue in 1991 reached number 12. Coming in at nearly nine minutes on the album of the same title and split across sides A and B of the single, the song's length is only partly responsible for its legendary status. The song's repeated line, The Day the Music Died, refers to the plane crash in 1959 that killed early rock and roll stars Buddy Holly, The Big Bopper and Richie Valence and kind of ended the era of early rock and roll. But it also has many references to Americana and Don McLean's childhood. A reference to the song was included in the movie The Next Best Thing and Madonna's character Abby sings it at the funeral of a friend along with Robert, played by Rupert Everett. With Maverick slated to release the film's soundtrack, Madonna recorded a song called Time Stood Still, an absolutely stunning ballad. And here's a rough demo from the 13th of October 1999 of that song.
As you can hear, there is a lot more echo on Madonna's voice than in the final version, and it generally has a more ethereal sound to the mix, keeping in line with the Ray of Light album. I don't doubt it would have been a big hit had it been released as a single, but Madonna had other plans. At first, I thought she was joking, said William Orbit at the time. Now, I highly recommend a podcast called Disinfect, which claims to air out music's worst songs. Now, don't get offended. Orbit speaks to them for over an hour about his work with Madonna, including and especially about American Pie. And he stands up for it. He admits that he probably never listened to it after the final mix, but was surprised at how good it sounded today. Now, I'm not going to lift chunks of a dialogue from another podcast, so please, please check it out. But I can give you some of the background. He says in the podcast that an engineer colleague worked out the chords in MIDI. One of William's bugbears is covers of versions where the chords are changed, and he wanted to remain loyal. He and Madonna reduced the song to just the start of the first verses and the entirety of the second and sixth verses, together with, of course, the chorus. Orbit goes on to say how brilliant it is in the studio when it's just Madonna and a guitar and that she has an impeccable sense of timing. He did, however, say that it was whilst mixing this song that he felt Madonna realised she needed a change of direction with the album. He also says that maybe there's a bit too much Rupert Everett. Anyway, a few months later, she enlisted Mia Wace on the project and would then revisit some of the Orbit tracks to remix them differently in order to make them feel homogenous to the release. On its release in September 2020, fans and critics were taken aback by the cold digital sound of the songs at complete odds with the warm, luscious feel of Ray of Light. I myself was perhaps a little disappointed by its sound, though this was short-lived because tracks like I Deserve It and Nobody's Perfect, along of course with the singles especially Don't Tell Me, just got under my skin and that sound had such a huge impact on the music scene. By 2001 everyone was making hits with that stark Teutonic feel, none more so than Kylie's gigantic Can't Get You Out Of My Head. Madonna and Mirwais would continue to work together and the result would be the American Life album, but more of that in the next episode. Don't forget to become a patron if you want to hear that episode early. You can do that at the website insidethegroove.co.uk and you should also check out the range of merchandise. But for now, goodbye. Goodbye.